hear us through your AirPods or see us on your laptop, how about meeting us in real life? Because we're taking Queer Money on the road this summer and fall. Visit QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player to find out when we'll be in your neighborhood. Do the economy, inflation, even stock market volatility have you feeling a bit anxious these days? A listener emailed us and they said, am I the only one feeling anxious about the state of the world today and the economy and my finances? No, you're not alone. Christina Roman, consumer education advocate at Experian, joins Queer Money Podcast episode number 464 to share data from recent surveys on how we're all feeling a bit anxious with our finances these days. And she shares tips on how we can reduce some of our financial anxiety. Let's get on with the show. You're listening to the Queer Money Podcast, personal finance with a rainbow twist. Queer Money is dedicated to financial independence, financial well-being, investing knowledge, and the intersection of all things money as an LGBTQ person. Queer Money is made possible by Capital One. Capital One believes that financial well-being includes your mental, physical, and financial health. Check out CapitalOne.com today. So when I think about the through line of the debt-free guys and queer money... We have said this over and over again, maybe not necessarily publicly on the Queer Money podcast, but today's guest has been very integral in everything we've done for the last eight to nine years. We published an article about back to school shopping like eight years ago, nine years ago on debtfreeguys.com. And then this woman from Experian reached out and invited us onto their, it was it was a video chat at the time on TikTok. And we we're like, oh my gosh, this is so cool. Like, People are paying attention to what we're doing. And then after that, they invited us to a special dinner at a conference we were all going to. And it was because of that dinner and meeting them that we met some of the people that we met and were able to get a series published in Forbes and a whole bunch of other partnerships that really germinated all from today's particular guest. And on top of that, we returned from that conference in 2015 that we all went to with the idea of starting a podcast. And it just so happened at that dinner that Experian hosted, they gave out random prizes for different answering different questions. And it was the <laughs> free show. microphone that we won yes. in that contest. <laughs> that was the microphone that we used for like two or three years on the podcast. And if it wasn't for that, like we would have had to buy our own microphone to get started. So Christina Roman is like a <laughs> goddess on the Crib Money podcast, because if it wasn't for her, I don't, we, I'm not sure if we would have had any of the success that we've had. So welcome with all that Christina Roman to the Crib Money podcast. Oh my goodness. Thank you so much for that. You know what though? It started with you because I never would have known to reach out to you if I hadn't come across that article. And what I loved about that article, and I still remember it was the humor behind it. And you just made it a fun read. And that's so important. It wasn't just like back to school is here. Here's where you can find your sales. You talked about fashion. I thought it was wonderful. So it started with you guys, with you both. You know, I never would have been able to meet and find you guys if I hadn't come across that article. So really, thank you for that intro. But really, it all boils <laughs> down to all the hard work that you put into, you know, what you were building at the time. And you said TikTok in the that that we chatted on TikTok, but TikTok 
oh. just came around. It was Google Chats. So that's how yes, old we are. That's that, right. that interview was, it was Google <laughs> Chats when Google Chats offered a video interview that translated over to YouTube. That's right. I forgot about Google Chats. I know. There's so that much technology <laughs> that has since come around. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. So this might seem like a little bit of a depressing topic that we're going to transition to, where we're going to keep it fun and exciting um, because we think it's an important topic to, to tackle. But let's cut to the meat right now. Everyone's feeling financially pinched. There's a lot sort of going on in the world, uh, in the finance world, as the, the political world, all sorts of things going on. Why? What do you? What do you think is is are some of the major stressors that people are feeling? Yeah, it, you know, it's definitely a challenging environment when you think about inflation driving up the costs of goods, housing, you know, gas, food, and then you have the efforts to increase interest rates to you know balance out that inflation. It just makes borrowing money so much more expensive for major purchases like a home, a car, you know, credit in general. And then there's also been job loss in different um, sectors that's impacting people. And the pandemic then was that unprecedented event that really shook things up. And we see that people are still kind of trying to rebound from that pandemic. But so, so really, it's no wonder that people are feeling tight and they're trying to figure out, okay, how do we manage for the next thing that we don't know what's coming up? You know, how do we figure out how to get ahead of that? And also, how do we manage where we currently are? So that's, I think that's why we're seeing people feel a little bit tight. You know, they're starting to think about how can we save a little bit more? How can we look inward? Because um, what we what we're finding is that they're saying, okay, there's too much going on out here. Now, how can I manage what's happening in my own personal financial life? How can I improve my knowledge? How can I take hold of my credit and really understand how it works so that so that I can set myself up for, you know, taking advantage of a future maybe dip in housing prices or dip in interest rates that can help them then to enter the market and become a little bit more financially independent and financially healthy. Yeah. You know, somebody reached out to us, one of our listeners or viewers, it's just said, am I the only one sort of feeling this financial anxiety right now? A couple of years ago, I felt like I was sort of on the right trajectory with my finances. And now everything just seems so precarious and, and, and questionable. So I, I mean, to your point, like, it sounds like, you know, this particular listener or reader isn't, isn't the only one. It sounds like this is no. it's pretty broad experience. Yes. And that's so important. I think when you're going through it, you feel alone. And it's important to know that you're not alone. And we also noticed that when we were doing this study that a lot of people felt shame about their financial situation and shame when you feel like you're alone and you're taking it all on your own shoulders, it, it can feel very isolating, but it's important to know that a lot of other people are in the same boat that you are. We're all trying right. to navigate our financial situation, our financial lives, and that it's just really important for you to do what you can to set yourselves up financially, to manage your own financial health, to figure out what do you need to learn about finances to set yourself back up. So maybe that person could take a hard look at their financial situation and identify, are there areas that they could cut back on? You know, is there potentially a side hustle that they can start to help to bring in more income and make themselves feel like they can breathe a little bit more? Yeah. Just out of curiosity, you mentioned this idea of people feeling alone and ashamed of their financial situation, but we see, and maybe 
maybe we're a little bit of a bubble because we're looking at this kind of data on a regular basis, but we see report after report after report, you know, consumer loans just getting ready to cross a trillion dollars, credit card debt just crossed a trillion dollars, mortgage debt is skyrocketing. There's so much information out there that says that everyone is taking on more debt. Everyone is dealing with the financial cycles or situations that are happening right now. Why do you think people feel alone? Is there something else that's kind of making people feel like they're the only one dealing with this when the news out there is saying that everyone is? Yeah, well, I think also one thing that not a lot of people talk about is these devices that we have right here (laughs) that, you know, you have access to social media and on social media, everybody is putting this picture perfect portrait of how their life is right now. Everything that they're able to buy, they're telling you, you, you have to have this next thing. Oh, here's this gadget that you never knew that you always needed. And so it's like, there's this constant temptation to buy, buy, buy. Also, now you can get things you know, sent to your door uh, next day. Now you can get it sent to your door within five hours if you order before a certain time period, right? So it's like people are seeing on social media that everybody else seems to have it together. Everybody else seems to have this perfect life when really that's that's just what they're putting out there. That doesn't necessarily mean that they're not drowning in debt. That doesn't necessarily mean that that they're comfortable in their finances. Maybe they're using retail therapy to help themselves feel better, but you really never know what's happening on the back end. And so that could be one of the reasons that people feel as though they're alone because they're not able to, to lead that lifestyle. They're not able to, you know, make those same purchases, have that same car. So they're like, what are they doing that I'm not doing when really you didn't, you don't know, you don't know what's going on in a person's life. I'm wondering if anybody's done enough of a study or has looked into it enough, but I think that we have like this perfect storm right now of marketing has never been more of a science than it is today, especially with all the algorithms that these marketers have access to. But then you couple that with social media and everybody putting on their pretend perfect life, coupled with the easy access to credit that people have today, even with these higher interest rates, coupled with how easy it is to buy things without even having to touch a dollar bill or a penny, right? Mm -hmm. Just you have no idea what's going on. Coupled with the fact that you can, I can order stuff today. I can hang up from this interview today and still get something delivered to me from Amazon if I wanted it bad enough, right? Yes. So it's all those things together. It kind of skews your perception of, of reality and what's going on. Everything is so easy. Everybody else is having it so great. And you kind of forget like, oh, I'm not alone. We're sort of all sort of dealing with this t- together, but we're all sort of in this like nebulous, made up fake world. Right. Mm-hmm. I think about Paul Donovan, who was a guest on the podcast, talked about the credit illusion and how the access to credit. I mean, I was just, I was looking at this the other day for us, John and I combined have access to over $150,000 of credit available on our credit cards. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, that's just, it, it's just surprising to me that we have access to that much. I mean, literally in Toledo, we could go buy a house with the credit cards <laughs> if we could get cash for all. I mean, obviously we couldn't get cash, a uh, cash advance on all that money, but people have access to so much credit. And I even think back to when I was young and first starting my credit journey or, or credit history, I kind of had this mentality that if I had available credit, I had money to spend. 
Yeah. And so we're looking at all these different things compounding on top of each other. And maybe, like you said, people looking at picture per- this picture perfect life that everyone has, we need maybe start asking ourselves, is it real or is it a part of the credit illusion? And that you know, I don't want to get sucked into my making my life full of financial stress because I feel like what this what's going out on out there is real, but it may not be. Capital One strives to inspire a better financial path for everyone, including the LGBTQ community, through access to credit, tools to manage debt, and product features. Digital products such as CreditWise and Eno are designed to take the stress out of money by helping you manage credit, a key source of potential stress, and stay on top of spending without worrying all the time. Sign up for CreditWise for free today. Yeah, and I, this is why it comes down to, and this is what's so important about you know this study that we did is we wanted to understand, we know millennials and Gen Z are gonna be the biggest drivers of the economy. So we wanted to know how do they feel about their finances, but also do they understand how credit works? And do they understand how credit can impact their financial health? Because I think a lot of people, to your point, they see this, this money that they have available to them and they think, well, I can spend that. But if they can't pay it back, then they're going to have to pay interest on that money, right? Right. And that just makes it that much more expensive when you're talking about potentially 24% interest on whatever you're charging. And then if all they can do is make their minimum payments because they can't pay off that balance in full, then they're just going to stay in this cycle of debt and it's going to become overwhelming. So we really want to give people the tools to help them to to know, okay, and this is something I'm a victim of, you know, I did this when I graduated from college, I took on a ton of debt, I thought, oh, yeah, I'll have a job, and I'll pay it off, you know, when I can. And then I was only ever able to make the minimum payments. And then I was like, I'm never going to get out of debt. I, I, I keep making this payment, and my balance isn't getting lower. And you feel that stressor, but that's self created, if you mm-hmm. just knew how to manage your credit. If you just knew how the credit industry worked and you just use credit as the tool that it's meant to be rather than that that crutch to help you to live a lifestyle that you can't really afford. Right. So one of the key data points that came out of of experience study was that 70% of Gen Z and millennial consumers believe the current economic environment is hurting their ability to be financially independent adults. What does it mean to be a financially independent adult exactly? I think from this, well, financial independence can have a lot of different meanings. It could mean being able to be out on your own and to support yourself, to have a house, to have achieved, you know, financial goals that you set for yourself, to have a high paying job that allows you to achieve your financial goals. One of the things that we looked at for this study was particularly reliance on parents. So do they feel as though they can, they don't have to rely on their parents as much financially. And so we started to see that, you know, they're having a little bit of a harder time doing that. They're having a little bit of a harder time leaving their parents' house or not asking their parents for money, you know, to help them to pay their bills. And then that in turn is creating a little bit of stress for them. So that's kind of the way we looked at this study was are they able to not depend on their parents financially? And we saw with millennials, there was a little bit less of an instance and Gen Z. And that just makes sense because millennials are yeah. older, right? Gen Z is in their early twenties. They're trying to figure out life. And so it makes sense that they would 
they would depend on their parents. But that's kind of what we were looking at for this study. Got you. That makes a lot of sense. You know, another da- key data point that we thought came out from your study, and this, I think there were two separate studies, yes. maybe, but the other data point that came out said so that gen- half of Gen Zers and millennials, or 54%, consider themselves at least somewhat financially dependent on their parents, with 23% stating that they're still very, very dependent on their parents. And that actually aligns with a savings.com, savings.com study that came study. out a couple months ago that CNBC published, same number was 54% were somewhat dependent on mom and dad, but they had a dollar amount attached to it, right? Yeah. The the uh, savings.com found that of parents who were supporting their, in some way, financially supporting their adult children, they were spending on average $1,442 a month to, to support to their, help their child. Wow. Right, yeah. right. And granted, I think, you know, just like your study points out, Gen Z individuals who are probably closer to either still living at home or still getting support from parents because they're in college, I think that that probably overweights that. But I did think it was interesting on that study, they said that 11% of individuals who were 35 and older were still relying on their parents to pay for some sort of their monthly expenses, which is quite surprising. Individuals who are 35 and older, that's older millennials, individuals Mm -hmm. who oftentimes are probably thinking about making those major life choices like buying a house, buying a car, those kinds of things that if they maybe didn't have support from mom and dad, they couldn't do. Yes. And that was the experience that that we had, if I'm being perfectly honest. When we bought our house three years ago, we ended up, this was during the pandemic. My husband and I, we saw the interest rates dropping and we said, okay, we have to buy now. So what we did was we moved out of the apartment that we were renting and we moved into my in-law's house for three months. And we just saved every dollar that we made during that time frame, And that helped us really, we already, we already had part of a down payment, but that helped us really to, to drive that down payment home. And at the time there was eight people living in my parents, my in-laws house, you know, eight of us, my sister and her kids, my sister-in-law and her kids, Josh, myself and our son, and then my in-laws. And they're so grateful to them. They're so gracious in opening their house to us. But I know for a fact, we would not have been in the position that we were in to purchase our house at the interest rate that we did if they hadn't allowed us to do that. So it could just be that that millennials are taking those steps to say, okay, we can't buy at the interest rate that it's at right now. We can't, you know, rent is going up. So what they would be paying in rent is taken away from what they're able to save to achieve that goal that they may have set for themselves. So it could be that they're saying, Hey, mom and dad, you know, can we stay here for a little bit, really save that money? Now, again, this is purely speculative, but I've seen a lot of people do it. And then, you know, that can help them to drive their savings up and then hopefully purchase the house when they're ready. And this is also something that my brother is doing. He's um, 27 years old and he's living with my parents and just saving money, just stacking cash until he can purchase his house. And my sister-in-law did the exact same thing. She was living with us at my in-laws and she just purchased her house. So it could just be that that's what millennials have to do if they have that option available to them. Right. Do you want to move in with your in-laws and save some money? (laughs) 
Beep. No. <laughs> Again, I know. I say that if that is an option available to them, because not everybody has that relationship. So I totally understand that. But no, but you you do bring a bring up a good point there here that people are starting to get a little bit more creative with the way that they they look at their financial lives. Right? It isn't it isn't necessarily okay. I'm in high school. I'm going to go to college. I'm going to get out of college and I'm going to get married. And then three years later, we're going to have our first kid and then we're going to buy our house. And, you know, this, there isn't this kind of march towards white picket fence American dream like there was maybe 20, 30, 40 years ago. It's a very different environment, different world we live in. And, you know, I just think about the fact that even over the last 20 or 30 years, the massive number of people that have moved back into urban areas from rural areas and from exurbs into the suburbs and the like. So there is just so much more push for people to be in these areas, which brings costs up. Mm-hmm. Yes. And then also, yeah, the timeline has changed for people on when they get married, when they have kids, because they're saying, okay, we have to, we have to figure out our financial lives. You know, kids are expensive. So that's not something that was another thing that we saw in our study. People are delaying, you know, when they have kids, um, oh. making sure that they're financially healthy when they do so, because they understand the implications of having a kid and how a child and how costly it can be. So they're trying to make more informed decisions about their finances when it comes to that. Also, I think the remote economy is changing also the way people are thinking about how they how they can enter the job force, what options are available for them. Maybe if living in a metropolitan area is a little too expensive for them, they're starting to take those remote jobs and work elsewhere because it's a little bit more affordable for them to be able to achieve the goals that they have set out for them. Yeah. If we look back over recent history, it isn't like we haven't had difficult situations, financial situations over the last 30, 40, 50 years. I mean, we think about 2008 was the housing crisis and the Great Recession. 2000, 99, 2000, we had the dot-com bust. And then right after that, we had 9-11 and the Iraq War. And there were recessions and market turmoil then. In 1987, there was Black Monday and the crash of the stock market, which sent the economy in the US into a tailspin for a while, especially the housing market. And even if you go back even before that, the, the late 70s and early 80s, there was out of control inflation. I mean, we're we are complaining right now because interest rates on homes are at seven percent, seven and a quarter percent. But back then people were looking at more than twice that. Four, yeah, 14, 15, 18 percent to buy a house, not on a credit card. I mean, credit cards yes. were in the 30 percent. So it's not like we haven't seen these kinds of things before. Why do we think that maybe this is is different or is there something we can learn from this to be more prepared? Yeah, it's definitely cyclical. I think, you know, interest rates were very high back then on housing, but also housing costs compared to wages were a little bit more even keel. Here you have these high interest rates, high housing, and then the wages, they don't quite match what the cost is of living. So there, there is that, but I think ultimately, and I'm not an economist, so it, it is hard to speak to those economic events, but what we see is that people are resilient. 
people find ways to adapt, they tend to figure out, they look inward and they figure out, okay, what in my finances can I change? We learn from previous mistakes to save money, to save for the unexpected, you know, have that emergency budget. We always talk about having that emergency budget that, or that emergency savings that can help you navigate whatever financial situation you may be encountering, taking a look at their credit, making sure that their credit is healthy and that they are able to use it as a tool. So reducing debt, all of those things are, are, ways that people adapted to situations. They said, okay, you know, this is not what's happening out here is not going to work for us. How can we change our spending habits so that we can achieve our goals? And those are just some steps that they took. And those are things that we can learn from today to say, okay, this environment is not serving me. So how can I serve myself? Is there a side hustle that I can take on? Is there a way that I can trim my spending? Is there a way that I can reduce my debt is there a way that I can manage my credit so that way I'm ready for, you know, when I am able to purchase a house, you know, these are all steps that they're taking because these are learned steps. These are learned behaviors, but also it's really important. One thing that, that we saw in the study is that people want to know how to better manage their finances. And so it's also very important to do that research. And what's cool is now we have more access to financial education than ever before, because you can literally Google something, it's right at your fingertips. You know, you are an incredible resource for financial education. People could just come to, you know, the debt-free guys and learn how to manage so many things. They could learn the debt lasso method, right? And figure out how to reduce their debt because there's so many different ways to do that now. So we have access to so much information right at our fingertips and that can help people to navigate, you know, any financial, any financial economy. I think the 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 one variable that that you mentioned Christina that I I think plays such a critical role in why it feels different this time around I think it's wages. I agree. I think you know when you think about when you think about the fact that I I forget I was seeing it in a, in, a, in a chat room the other week people 50 years ago were going to law school and 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 medical school for half the cost a year of what it costs to go through undergrad now. Yeah. Um, you know, you you just can't the, the 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 idea of being able to work your way through college and be able to graduate in four years is just an impossibility now. I don't, I don't know that mm-hmm. anybody c- c- is able to do that. And then you, you, you know, add on top of that, housing costs and the, the cost of everything else, the price of eggs, whatever you very you want to look at, everything is exponentially more expensive. And mm-hmm. even though we are starting to see in the last couple of weeks, wages started to increase not at all commensurate with what the cost of everything else in the world. Right. Yes. And I think yes. we wouldn't be having a lot of this conversation about having to figure out how to navigate your financial life with moving in with mom and dad or borrowing from mom and dad or whatever the case may be, if wages had kept up with the cost of everything else. And what concerns me is this is how we're navigating it now, but how are mom and dad going to navigate it in 20, 30 years when they're supposed to be retired? They can't generate the income that they need to to generate. Are they going to be able to rely on their kids who they supported in their 20s and 30s and 40s? Or are we still going to be struggling to try to make ends meet and, and can't necessarily help mom and dad because now we have our own children to take care yeah. of, right? That's what concerns me about the whole thing is this is how we're navigating it today, but what are we going to do in 20, 30 years? And, and we have more people to be concerned about Gosh, yeah, that's a that's a such an important thought. That's something that 
I wish I, I knew how to answer because it's really important. But I think by taking those steps to figure out how to to learn the topics that you don't necessarily know about, whether it's investing, saving for retirement so that you can set yourself up because you're right. You know, we are going to owe our parents later in life for the ways in which they're supporting us. So that is something very important to think about. And so what can we do now to set ourselves up so that we can pay that favor back when it does come time? Because yeah, it could very well come in our lifetime. And it's definitely kind of a shift in thinking for, I think, in independent Americans. I'm doing air quotes, folks, for for those of you who can't can't see us. Yeah, beautiful you know. faces. <laughs> right. We have this very independent streak in, in in American society, whereas cultures around the world, you see a lot of families who live in multi-generational homes. And I think we're my, maybe drifting back towards that because of financial circumstances. It is interesting, though. I'm, I'm, I think back to when I was a kid, my parents bought their home and they could afford that home on my dad's salary and my mom wasn't working at the time. That's That was right at the beginning. My mom ended up having to go to work because my dad took a different job but and took a pay cut. But, but then I think in maybe like the 80s, late 80s and, and in the 90s, you almost needed a two-income two household to be able to afford to buy a, the, your standard average home. And now it's you need to have two incomes and a couple of side hustles to be able to afford to, to uh, your your typical you know median income home. I saw a statistic the other day that said in Shanghai, a person earning the median wage needs to earn fifty times that to buy the median priced home in Shanghai. Oh wow! Oh wow! And I think in New York it's twenty times. I think it was twenty times in New York, thirty times in Paris, and fifty times in Shanghai. Wow. So we do have this kind of out of control thing going on with with home prices. So uh, that's a whole completely different discussion, right? But we talked about wages, and it doesn't necessarily. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it equates, especially when you le- read statistics. Like we read something recently in Bloomberg that said that that. If individuals who are making $175,000 a year or more, that's roughly the top 10% of individuals, that more than a quarter of them felt like they were either very poor, poor, or just getting by and things are tight. Mm -hmm. That's $175,000. That is more than twice, almost three times as much as the median income in the United States. And yet those individuals are feeling the pinch, right? Mm-hmm. So I wondered when I saw that statistic, when I, I saw your question, if I wondered where they were living on that wage, because I think that definitely impacts their how much they're going to pay for everything, whether it's a mortgage or rent, if they're living in a place like New York. I went, I, I did have that question of like, okay, where are these people living that they're feeling tight? And it's understandable that, you know, cost of living is very expensive, but also I wondered what lifestyle was too. Yeah. Right. hundred percent. Right. You know, we're, we're doing a, we're doing a series that we published on Thursdays called most affordable LGBTQ friendly cities in each state. And I think to Christina's point, we, those six figure earners must be LA, San Francisco, New York, Chicago, 
you know, because we're looking at some of the median and average incomes in some of these cities that we're recommending as more affordable, but yet also LGBTQ friendly. And we haven't come close to no, we haven't hit 175 on, <laughs> at, at any of them. No, right? and, yes. and it, it just it does kind of I think it speaks to this idea that you could you could let this spiral out of control and get very negative and very depressed on on how things are. But it sounds like from what you found is that people are still optimistic about this. Yes, yes. And again, it comes down to how confident they feel in themselves, their resilience, because we've seen it. I mean, they've, especially the millennials, we've hit unprecedented event after unprecedented event. And, you know, we're still here. We're still earning, we're still earning money. We're still, you know, buying houses, maybe not at the rate we would like to buy them, but, you know, we're figuring it out. And so I like to say that, you know, millennials and hopefully Gen Z as they're coming up, they they feel that financial resilience. They say, okay, you know, things are out of my control, but again, what can I control? And to your point, you said it earlier, some people now they're, they've got their job plus extra side hustles. That is an opportunity for people. That is something that, that they have the ability to do, you know, if, if they want to, it's kind of, how hard do you want to work to make sure that you're financially healthy? And I know that it kind of, it stinks that they have to do that. It stinks that their wages won't support them being able to purchase a house. However, that also speaks to adaptability, right? That speaks to them being able to say, okay, I'm probably not going to be able to achieve this here, but what can I do? What can I learn about financial management? What can I learn about investing? What can I learn about credit? What can I learn about a side hustle that can help me then to bring in that income to help me feel financially healthy again? And I think they're that they're already doing that. Yeah. Well, I think 100% of, of, of what you're talking about is why we came up with the wealth pyramid, where you just can no longer even... 10, 15 years ago when we were both working for a W-2, it was becoming harder and harder to be able to rely on one single source of income or two if you're dual income, that you've got to sort of increase your income streams. And that's why we came up with the wealth pyramid where you rely on stock market investments, you rely on real estate investment outside of just having your own primary property, and you rely on small business or side hustle or side gig uh, income, because you just can't be solely reliant on one single source of income. Mm-hmm. If for no other reason, then you know those very you know, they, they don't necessarily move in tandem, right? You might lose a job, and what are you going to do for the one week to six months it might take to find another job? At least you have two other sides of the equation that you can maybe hopefully rely on to help get you through on top of having you know an emergency savings account and whatever other resources you might have. Yes. So how does how does credit play into all of this, especially with this idea of being optimistic about your future and wanting to be financially independent from the bank of mom and dad, or maybe even get to the point where you're financially independent and can maybe retire early? How does credit play into that? Why is this an important topic for individuals, especially on younger individuals, to understand and enact in their lives? Yes, credit is a vital tool in your financial life. Credit, when used properly, will open doors for you. And and I say that because like if if somebody has that goal of wanting to purchase a home, a credit, good credit will help you to qualify for the lowest possible interest rate. Even when interest rates are really high, you don't want to have to pay an even higher interest rate because your credit is not in good standing. So 
Credit will help you to qualify for loans at the lowest possible interest rate. Your credit can help you to qualify to rent an apartment. If you're not quite ready to purchase a home, but you want it to get out on your own, you want to rent an apartment, credit, your, your potential landlord will likely check your credit to see if you qualify to rent the apartment from them. So you want to have good credit when you're going into the renting realm. And you know if you want to purchase a car, credit's going to affect that interest rate. So it's really important to use credit as a tool that it's meant to be used as. And when I say that, I mean to use credit responsibly by making small charges and paying them off every single month. If you have a lot of debt on your credit cards, reducing that debt, making your payments on time. I always emphasize when I talk about credit that your payment history is the number one factor in your credit score. So it's very important to make your payments on time every single month and to pay as agreed. So a lot of people, when they're in a debt reduction process, they maybe think about debt settlement, know that that could impact your credit score because you're settling as less than agreed. So there's so many debt payoff methods, whether it's the avalanche method, the snowball method, or the debt-free guys debt lasso method. There are so many ways that can keep you motivated to pay your debt down. And so really start to educate yourself on those things and, you know, take credit into your own hands because Again, when you use credit wisely, it could be a tool that opens so many doors for you. Also, you know, you can earn a lot of rewards using credit cards. So that is another thing. You can get cash back. You know, you can earn travel points if you want to get away for a while. If life is overwhelming and you just need to take a break, maybe you could use those credit card travel points. But that those are earned when you use credit responsibly and you pay your debt on time so you don't feel stressed. Yeah, exactly. I can't tell you the last time that we paid for airline tickets. When was the last time we actually had to fork over our own money, not well, use points? Well, we actually pay for some of our domestic flights because it's uh, it's true. cheaper for us to pay for it than it is to use the points. We, we've flown internationally free for the last at least 12 years, at least wow. 12 years, if not more. And we have traveled as far as Australia, New Zealand, and as close as Puerto Vallarta. Yeah, almost <laughs> almost every year, maybe in some cases every other year, we have traveled internationally and we've always done it on those flights. And I say free, I mean, of course, folks, we're paying for the taxes and the fees that are associated with it, but we're not spending $1,800, $2,000 to fly each of us individually over to Europe or to South America or somewhere like that. And so to your point, Every time we recommend Experian Boost to somebody and they actually do it, we get positive feedback on it. So if you look are looking for a way to improve your credit score, people, check out Experian Boost. We'll have a link in our in the show notes and in the podcast player, or just Google Experian Boost. And I, I can't tell you how much positive feedback we received since you guys launched that product. And so we're excited to, to always share that with people because it provides a lot of value and, and people see significant changes, like up to 50 points sometimes. Yes, that's wonderful. And and what makes Boost special is you're you're getting credit for bills that you pay already every single month. So if you have a streaming service, if you pay your utilities, if you pay a cell phone bill, you can use those positive payments to then increase your credit score. And that was something that that we heard for a long time from people like why can't I get credit for the bills I'm already paying? Why do I have to take on debt? you know, quotation marks in order to have a good credit score. And so we listened and we said, okay, 
people are making payments every single month for different things. And why can't they get credit? So that was something we introduced in 2019. And every just about every year we make an update to it. So in 2020, we or I think it was 2021, 2020 or 2021, we introduced this the streaming portion of it. And then in 2022, we introduced potentially being able to use your rent payments to boost your credit score. So nice. it's an ever-evolving product. And we're listening to consumers and trying to make sure that you know we're meeting their needs, we're meeting them where they are. Nice. Exactly. It just it does highlight that there is a process folks if you're struggling with a lower credit score or or no credit history if you're really just starting out there is a process and it's not a long process it's a process that you can build your credit score and get it to the point where you're as Christina mentioned you're you're getting those better interest rates so you can buy that house or buy that car or qualify for that rent apartment that you want. Those kinds of things do help you move in that direction of feeling financially independent. And plus, if you are going to try to build a financial future where you are financially independent and you want to start a small business or you want to purchase real estate as an investment, that is a vital thing there as well. You for have sure. to have access to those because you will need to borrow money for purchasing those investment properties. And you will probably need to borrow money, even if it's just with a credit card, to fund your business on a monthly basis. Right. So having access to that kind of credit is important. Absolutely. And you know, one of the things I know when I was going through my own credit journey, trying to figure out how to reduce the debt that I took on. I had no idea where to access my credit score. I had no idea where to access anything related to my credit other than I knew when I received my bills every single month. So I want to stress to people that you can access your credit report from each of the three credit bureaus at annualcreditreport.com. This is a centralized source where you can go get your Experian, your TransUnion, and your Equifax credit reports completely free. And it used to be that you could only access it every 12 months, but you can now access them weekly through 2023. So that's a great resource to go to. Now that won't include your, your credit score. You will have to pay for your credit score if you wanted to attach the credit report. But you can also use Experian's credit monitoring service, and that's a free service monthly where you'll also get to access your FICO score and you can access your Experian credit report, your FICO score, and the fact you'll know the factors that are helping or hurting your credit score. So it's a great resource for you to check out if you're in the process of trying to figure out how your credit is looking, if you want to know how to manage your credit, if you want to know what your FICO score looks like, this is a great resource for you. Yeah, definitely. John and I always recommend to, to everyone, Experian Boost and CreditWise by Capital One. They're two great resources because one covers the FICO score and the other covers your Vantage score. The other thing I love about them is that neither of them are bombarding you with credit card offers like so many of the other credit scoring services do. Right, That's how they make their money. So if credit cards are a temptation to you, then stay away from them by making sure you're using Experian Boost and CreditWise by Capital One. Absolutely. Wonderful. Yes. And um, we often get asked about different credit scoring models. And it's just important because you mentioned Vantage score and FICO score. It's really important that people just know that that your credit score is created 
from the information that is listed in your credit report. Your credit score is proprietary to the creators, so it's proprietary to FICO and it's proprietary, the, the algorithms are proprietary to Vantage score as well. And they're using the information in your credit report to create those scores. So you wanna think of it like, like a resume, almost your credit report is that resume and or, or a paper and your credit score is the grade based on the information in that paper. So that's where those credit scores, those numbers come from. So usually it's the information in your report that dictates that score. So when you get your score, it'll come with factors that are helping or hurting you. Every time you get your score, it has to include those factors. So take a hard look at those factors and that's where you can begin to make a plan for how you're gonna manage credit moving forward. Exactly, and to your point earlier, your payment history is the number one factor that plays into what your credit score is. So that's if you're if you're having trouble with your credit score, maybe look at how well you're paying your bills one time. Yes. Cool. Great seeing you today. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for having showing. me. Yeah. I was so excited when they said that this was going to happen. I really appreciate you having me. This is a new part of my role at Experian is doing these interviews, and I'm oh, nice. I'm so excited to be doing it with with you all. I really, I really enjoy working with you both. Likewise. Before we wrap it up, how can our listeners and viewers connect with Experian in, on the internet, social media, wherever? Yes. So uh, Experian.com for all of those great tools that we mentioned earlier, our credit monitoring, Boost, Experian Go if you're trying to build your credit. And then we are on Twitter. We host a credit chat or X now. I have to get used to saying that X. Yep, um, <laughs> if you want to, we host a credit chat. If you want to join that every Wednesday at three o'clock Eastern, 12 o'clock Pacific. And you can find us at Experian underscore US. We're also on Instagram at Experian.us or at Experian. We have both. We're on just about every every social media platform at Experian or at Experian News. So check us out there. Connect with us. We want to hear from you. We like meeting people where they are. So we try to make ourselves available everywhere. So we hope to see you in one of our future chats or videos that we have coming out. Yeah. And folks, Experian is a super ally of the LGBTQ community. I mean, they are just constantly supporting the community all throughout the year. So definitely, if you're looking for some support, definitely look to them because they're supporting us as well. Absolutely. Good seeing you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Great seeing you all. Make sure to check out more ways that Capital One can help you achieve financial well-being at CapitalOne.com. That's CapitalOne.com. Thank you again, Christina, for a great interview and for helping us feel a little bit better about our finances. Thank you, our listeners and viewers, for joining us for another episode. Remember to subscribe to the Queer Money Podcast newsletter in your podcast player or in the YouTube description below to get this week's Queer Money takeaway, as well as how you can connect with Christina and Experian and your tips on how to reach financial independence faster. Then join us this Thursday when we share the most affordable LGBTQ plus friendly city to live in the state of Georgia (laughs) and next Tuesday when we tackle another investing topic. Thank you and have a great week. From Los Angeles, California to Winooski, Vermont, we're taking queer money on the road. 
Join us as we gamify personal finance with Queer Money Bingo or catch our signature Live Fabulously, Not Fabulously Broke Talk and so much more in between. Check out QueerMoneyPodcast.com forward slash tour or the link in your podcast player regularly for date and location updates.